Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast Franchise Tag Roundup and Super Bowl 39 Retrospective. My name is Hakun Wong, and I'm the editor-in-chief at Football Garbage Time. Um, I'll be joined shortly by senior staff writer Ryan Whitfield, and we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be covering all the news with the franchise tag that were placed by all the NFL teams around uh, uh, today by 4 p.m. Eastern Time, which was the deadline. We'll explain to you what the franchise tag is, for those of you who don't know, and explain the difference between an exclusive franchise tag and a non-exclusive franchise tag. And we'll also talk a little bit about those players who were not tagged and what the potential impact of those players will be. Uh, in addition to that, we'll, uh, as we've been doing all, uh, all off-season, we've been taking a retrospective look at one of the past Super Bowls and highlighting some of our takeaways from that. And that's something that we're going to be doing, I guess, like I said, uh, all season long. We're going to start again uh, today with uh, Super Bowl 39 between the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles. So that should be a fun one. Uh, and without further ado, let me uh, go ahead and get you started with a little bit of news first before we get started on everything else. All right, so before we get started on uh, a lot of the other information that we're going to talk about today, let me get you up to date on a few minor things that have gone around in the NFL. So, for instance, we now know that the Minnesota Vikings will not be picking up the $18 million option for Adrian Peterson. So Adrian Peterson may have played his last day in Minnesota. Now, this doesn't preclude Minnesota uh, actually making a deal with Peterson after the fact, because he will be testing free agency. They just decided that he wasn't worth the $18 million that he was owed under his contract. Uh, he'll probably be trying to latch on elsewhere, and then, of course, there have been some rumors that he might be connected to the Green Bay Packers, who obviously do need a running back. Um, with James Starks being released and with Eddie Lacy unsure if he'll be coming back and entering free agency. And, of course, there's some connections with him in Dallas, which has been squashed recently, but Jerry Jones, of course, is talking it up as if he might want to have Adrian Peterson there. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense with Ezekiel Elliott on your roster. But, you know, it's Jerry Jones. And then, of course, there's other talk as well. So we'll see what happens to Adrian Peterson. That's uh, still to be determined. And Jamal Charles has been released by the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the all-time most prolific rusher in Kansas City Chiefs history, essentially. Uh, but he is—he um, hasn't been performing as of late. You know, he's only played about eight games in the last two seasons due to injury, and that's a—and that's a real issue. And I think they've demonstrated that they can win without him, and they decided to let him go. And he will go into free agency. He'll be a big question mark. Probably has some something left in the tank, but there'll always be an injury concern moving over his head. And last but not least, Darrell Revis finally let go, released by the New York Jets two weeks after his skirmish with uh, folks uh, uh, in Pittsburgh. This is going to be an issue, obviously, that he'll have to deal with. He's in charge of multiple felonies. Who knows if that will lead to a suspension or he will be cleared of that. And, of course, it will no longer be the Jets' problem, as over the last year, his play has declined dramatically. The bottom really fell out for him. And you saw him giving up a lot of space on receivers uh, at the line because he just didn't have the confidence to run with them anymore. 
There was talk about moving him to safety, but uh, if you saw him tackle, you wouldn't be comfortable with that either. And, and I guess the Jets has basically have had enough. Uh, they've had a lot of busts on their on their uh, team this year, and they look like they're cleaning house. So we'll see what else is going to happen with them. All right. So with that said, let's go ahead and talk about franchise players. So the first thing we want to do is talk about what the franchise tag is. Now, as you may or may not know, teams are required to apply the franchise tag by 4 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, March 1st, and that was today. So that has now passed. Now, what this means, and I'm going to talk about the different types of tags, is that they have until July 15th to work out a long-term deal or they proceed on a one-year deal under the franchise tag. Now, there are two different flavors of franchise tags. There is the exclusive franchise tag, which provides that the tag player uh, gets a one-year contract for an amount no less than the average of the top five salaries of the player's position as of the end of restricted free agency of this year. So that would be April 21st, in which the tag will be applied. At, or 120% of the player's previous year salary, whichever is greater. Okay. Now, the, the difference here, the main difference here, is that the tag player under an exclusive franchise tag cannot negotiate with any other team. They can only negotiate with the team that tagged them. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be traded, and doesn't mean that the tag can't be rescinded, but at least for the time being, that player cannot negotiate with other teams. Now, there is also a non-exclusive franchise tag. Now, the non-exclusive franchise tag provides the tag player with a one-year contract for an amount no less than the average of the top five salaries at the player's position last year. So it ends up being a little bit less, or 120% of the player's previous year salary, whichever is greater. Now, you know, it, it sounds like it's going to be about the same, but it does end up to be slightly different. As an example, in 2014... Quarterbacks received $16.91 million as an exclusive tag, while getting $16.08 million as a non-exclusive tag. So there's almost a million dollars difference uh, between the exclusive and the non-exclusive tag in 2014. And that's about the same that you see most every year at every position. Now, and, of course, the, the difference is a little bit more a little bit more minuscule, more granular as you go down the line, because as you know, the franchise tag uh, ends up being less and less valuable as you work your way down, particularly when you get down to kickers and tight ends and so on and so forth. Now, uh, keep in mind that the important aspect of a non-exclusive franchise tag is that the player can negotiate with other NFL teams. And if the player signs an offer sheet of another team, that original team that tagged them can match the terms of the offer or they can not match the offer, lose the player, but get two first-round picks as compensation in the upcoming draft. So that is uh, the reason why you see the non-exclusive franchise tag being used more often than the exclusive franchise tag is because it is a slightly lesser amount. You may lose the player, but you will get that two draft pick compensation. So there is a reason why you might do that. Okay, so now that said, and as I said before, you can these can be rescinded. Let's talk about each of the players that were tagged so far. Okay, so number one, Arizona Cardinals. They they tagged outside linebacker Chandler Jones. They they, they used a non-exclusive franchise tag on him. 
He played 16 games last year. He had 38 tackles, 11 assisted tackles, 11 sacks, three pass defense, four forced fumbles. Now, this one seemed like a no-brainer to me. I mean, uh, the Arizona Cardinals defense really relied heavily on Chandler Jones, and it made a heck of a lot of sense to retain him at any at any way possible. And, of course, with a non-exclusive tag, it gives him time to work out a long-term deal. And I think the Cardinals will be seeking to do that. They will be seeking to find a way to get Chandler Jones under a long-term deal. Next tag was the Carolina Panthers, where they tagged defensive lineman Kawan Short. And they gave him the non-exclusive franchise tag as well. Now, in 2016, he also played 16 games. He had 30 tackles, 25 assisted tackles, 6 sacks, 3 pass defenses. Now, this one was a little bit more um, interesting. I mean, of course, the Carolina Panthers defense really took a step backward this year. A lot of people blame that on the fact that Josh Norman, who was franchise tagged last year, uh, left because the Carolina Panthers rescinded the tag. Uh, now, I think at the at the at the you know at the bottom here, the bottom line here is that the Carolina Panthers really can't afford to lose any more playmakers on defense. So. Tagging Kawan Short and trying to find a way to keep him there long-term makes a lot of sense. And I think they will also try to find a way to get him long-term uh, and, and get him off the tag. Next is uh, another no-duh situation, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers as they tagged Le'Veon Bell, their star running back. Now, he got the exclusive franchise tag, uh, and so he will not be able to negotiate with any other teams. He'll only be able to negotiate with the Steelers. Uh, everyone knows his stats. In only 12 games, you know, he missed a few games due to suspension early in the year, as he's done in the past. In only 12 games, he's rushed for 1,268 yards with seven rushing touchdowns, adding 616 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. So Le'Veon Bell, obviously a star player there, one of the three uh, most important players on that team, the three Bs, as they've called them, Bell, Brown, and Ben. So we all know that uh, Antonio Brown has been signed to a, a, a long-term deal, so he will be back. And with Le'Veon Bell in the franchise tag, it looks like he will also be returning. The, they are key components. We can expect that the Steelers will try hard to get him under a long-term deal as well before that July 15th deadline. Next is the New York Giants, and they managed to tag Jason Pierre-Paul, JPP, defensive end, he got the non-exclusive tag. Now, this is an interesting one. You know, in 2016, he played 12 games, had 35 tackles, 18 assisted tackles, 7 sacks, and 8 pass defenses. But he really has not been that effective uh, this year. So the question is, will he be someone they want to pay that much money? And at this point, for, uh, for defensive ends, it's $16.9 million uh, for just a one-year deal. Now, they probably will want to sign JPP to a longer deal, but the question is, will he continue to perform? And, and it's a big question mark there. Uh, the Giants definitely need a lot of help elsewhere, particularly with Victor Cruz gone and only uh, ODB and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. going into a contract year. Uh, they're going to have to look for another wide receiver because uh, Sterling Shepard will be playing probably into the slot. And uh, without a uh, running, without a wide receiver running opposite of OBJ next year, they're going to have some issues. So they got a lot of work to do, and they also have to work on their offensive line. So we'll see how that pans out coming up before July 15th. Next up are the Los Angeles Chargers, 
as they tagged Melvin Ingram, outside outside linebacker. Now, he was a situation where they really, really needed to keep him in town. Uh, The Chargers have a lot of upheaval in their future, not to mention they're going to Los Angeles. Uh, They gave him the non-exclusive franchise tag. Ingram played 16 games, had 46 tackles, 14 assisted tackles, 8 sacks, 5 pass defenses. He was relatively effective, very fast, very uh, strong outside linebacker, and you definitely want to have him at your core. Uh, Chargers were looking to try to wrap him up as well. Next up, Washington Redskins. They slapped the exclusive franchise tag on Kirk Cousins for the second year in a row. So he is a uh, double tag club here. And uh, everyone knows that he's in a very weak quarterback class. He's probably one of the most, uh, would be one of the most coveted players in free agency if they let him go. Now, he has mentioned several times that he doesn't want to play in Washington long term. So this could be an issue to watch. Uh, keep in mind, in 2016, it was an up-and-down year, but mostly a, a, a decent year. He had he played all 16 games. He had 4,917 passing yards, 25 passing touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 96 rushing yards, and four rushing touchdowns. So he had a relatively effective year. Now, they have a lot of free agency concerns. And as we talked about last week, they also have Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon entering free agency, and so they have to deal with that as well. They don't have a lot else there as far as targets, uh, aside from Jordan Reed, who has been injury-prone throughout the years. So it's a big question mark as to what they're going to do here. Now, the important aspect to keep in mind is that the franchise tag for a quarterback is really not outrageous compared to what other quarterbacks are getting. This year, so far, it's looking at about $21.2 million. It is very high, but it's not at the point where you're going to be really concerned about paying that for a one-year rental. Now, you want something more. You want to wrap up Kirk Cousins, but Kirk Cousins has mentioned that he wants to go play for the San Francisco 49ers under Kyle Shanahan. Now, keep in mind, Kyle Shanahan was the guy who stood up on a table literally and demanded that they draft Kirk Cousins in the fourth round in the same year that they got RG3 in the first round. So he wants to go play for Kyle Shanahan in in San Francisco. He wants a long-term deal there. Redskins want to keep him in Washington. Got an exclusive tag. They got some time to try to work things out, but it's looking like he might be just one more year in Washington and biding his time until he can get the free agency and sign with the 49ers. We'll see how that works out. So next up and finally is Tremaine Johnson of the Los Angeles Rams. who got slapped with a non-exclusive franchise tag. Now Johnson uh, is now the richest cornerback in the league. He's uh, He only played 14 games last year, 47 tackles, 10 assisted tackles, 11 pass defenses, only one interception. Only one interception. But keep in mind that in his previous four years, he had uh, 15 total interceptions, and he did return two of those for touchdowns. So he is a playmaker on defense. He's a very effective cornerback, but is he worth the league-leading $16.7 million? Only time will tell. They're going to continue to work it, work it out with him, see if he can get get him back on a long-term deal. Again, they have until July 15th to do that. He is the first cornerback, by the way, to get franchise tags in back-to-back years since Charles Woodson was, uh, was done in uh, 2004 and 2005 by the uh, Raiders. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Now, in, on other news, on the franchise tag news, there are several players who did not get tagged who we thought might get tagged. Now, Don Terry Poe, is one of them. The Kansas City Chiefs 
uh, wanted to keep both Eric Berry and Don Terry Poe, and it looked like they were going to have to decide between tagging Poe or Berry, but they were able to work out a deal with Berry yesterday. And with Berry now off the market and signed to a deal, you thought for sure they were going to tag Don Terry Poe, but they, they failed to do so. So who knows what's going to happen there? It'll be interesting to see what happens when he enters the free agency. Of course, the others, Dante Hightower, did not get tagged by the New England Patriots. Not totally surprising, but you'll see. I think you'll see them try to get him back. Alshon Jeffrey not tagged by the uh, by the Chicago Bears. It'll be interesting to see what they do there because they really don't have a lot uh, available as far as uh, and wide receiver position. And um, and that's basically it. That's basically all she wrote. That is all the news as far as the franchise tag is concerned. The next big time, of course. Is to look up the July 15th and see how this all worked out. And, of course, before then, March 9th is creeping up on us when free agency opens up. And as of March 7th, teams can start talking to the agents of those free agents and uh, avoid tampering rules. Okay, so that's all we got for that. Let's ring the bell. And let's take our retrospective look at the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl 39, February 7th, 2005, New England Patriots faced the the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. New England Patriots playing in their third Super Bowl in four years and in back-to-back Super Bowls. And this was a doozy. This was a doozy. Another close game. Not another Adam Vinatieri last-second kick, but it ended up being the difference. Adam Vinatieri ended up being the difference again in this game. Uh, as he kicked the game-winning field goal, but at this time, uh, lay deeper in the fourth quarter and not in the last second. So anyway, notable in this game, Deion Branch had 11 receptions for 133 yards. He actually ended up with the MVP, the only only time that Tom Brady played in a Super Bowl and did not get the MVP, uh, and um, and he was well-deserved. Like I said, 11 receptions, 133 yards, 11 receptions being a Super Bowl wide receiver record. The Patriots won this basically on defense. They forced four turnovers of the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, and managed to really kind of take this uh, away from them at the end of the game. The Eagles threatened first, though, you know, or late in the first quarter. They got down to the Patriots' eight-yard line. Mike Vrabel played the hero once again, sacking down on the McNabb, but Rodney Harrison stepped in and actually intercepted it on the Patriots' four-yard line. The Eagles then, in the second quarter, drove 81 yards uh, and managed to get a six-yard touchdown from McNabb to L.J. Smith. Uh, and take a 7-0 lead. The Patriots responded by driving to the Eagles' four, but Brady fumbled the ball on a fake handoff attempt, and Darwin Walker recovered later in that quarter uh, based on a short punt and a nice drive. Branch caught a seven-yard touchdown. Uh, uh, Branch managed to catch a seven-yard seven-yard catch on a third and three, and then Brady managed to get David Gibbons on the right side of the end zone with 110 left in order to tie the game at the half. And as was uh, the uh, kind of the tail of the tape, it went back and forth the rest of the way. And Vrabel again caught another touchdown, and they uh, went up 14-7. to The Eagles managed to put together a 74-yard drive, and remember this guy, Brian Westbrook, while he was all guns, all engines firing, all guns firing, he actually had his 10-yard touchdown catch there to tie the game. And then we had it go back the other way with the Patriots scoring again with a two-yard run from Corey Dillon. Patriots forced a three and out. Branch had a nice 19-yard catch. Adam Vinatieri hits that 22-yard field goal. 840 left. 
and Teddy Bruschi intercepts McNabb, and they uh, and they kind of keep the ball. Now this kind of goes on for a while. Eagles manage a 30-yard touchdown on a post pattern to Greg Lewis with 148 to play. There was an onside kick recovered by the Patriots. Eagles forced the punt, and with 46 seconds left, their brilliant downed punt on the Eagles four left McNabb in the hole, and Harrison intercepts McNabb's pass three days later to clinch the title. So again, another nail-biter all the way down to the end. They win by only the uh, only a field goal, and again, based on uh, on Adam Vinatieri's field goal, but not at the last second. Brady, 23 of 33 with 236 yards, two touchdowns. Like I said, Brancher and MVP honors. McNabb, 30 of 51 for 357 yards and three touchdowns with three interceptions were a problem. Gio, remember that guy? Terrell Owens, he was there, nine receptions, 122 yards. Tough break for the Eagles. But the uh, Patriots end up winning their third Super Bowl in four years. So, what's notable about this game? Well, this is actually interesting because I think this was the switching point, the turning point, where the Patriots actually started relying more on their offense than their defense. Now, the defense did manage to really change the dynamic of the game. I mean, the four turnovers were key. McNabb, again, uh, three interceptions making this a real issue. But really, the Patriots' offense really started to come together. And it, it actually, you could see that they start shifting more from a defensive team to a more offensive team. Now, if Ryan Woodfield was on the line here, he would probably have a more to say about this. But we'll get his thoughts on Super Bowl 39 next time um, as we're kind of running a little low on time here. So I'll just cap it off here and say, well, this was definitely an interesting game. Uh, it's interesting because at this point, the Patriots had a little bit of a mini drought before they won their next one. And I think we all know about what happened next. And we're going to talk about those Patriots Super Bowl losses to the Giants uh, coming up later on in the offseason. So, be, so definitely don't miss that. Keep in mind... And we do have a lot more news coming next week because the NFL Combine starts essentially this Friday. Now, it actually legitimately already started, but at this point, they're just doing measurables. They're just doing weigh-ins and uh, all the measurables. The actual workouts start on Friday. So we're going to have a lot more coverage about the fallout from the NFL Combine, particularly about the quarterbacks that are in there and how they do because there are a lot of quarterback needy teams out there. And we'll be talking a lot more about free agency as we creep up on that March 9th date when free agency opens. And we'll also check in on on any progress that was made on long-term deals on all these franchise taggers that we talked about today. All right. So until next time, follow me at FB Garbage Time on Twitter, and we'll get you keep, we'll get you uh, up to date on all the news on the NFL. Enjoy the NFL Combine and enjoy your NFL week. <laughs>